All right, uh, welcome to the fourth episode of NST and Things. Uh, this is Casey Smith, and uh, I have a, f- a few interesting cases uh, that I had this week. Uh, some kind of uh, uh, powerful emotional things that had happened uh, with a patient that just happened to come in uh, who had lost a son. Uh, also another patient I kind of made a breakthrough with who had been through a, uh, a very traumatic, um, car accident and very extensive, extensive reconstruct, reconstructive, uh, surgery. And, uh, another patient who was referred in just recently and, um, just had some, some interesting things kind of come up in her case. Uh, she's an interesting case in, in, in and of herself. Um, but being able to go back and reference, uh, certain things, uh, helped tremendously with me better explaining her kind of current predicament. So, um, I guess we'll kind of start with, uh, with Monday. Uh, Monday was a pretty typical day, you know, about eight patients. And, uh, I had a, a bit of an unusual day uh, in the fact that I had three new patients uh, and they were all in the afternoon. That typically never happens, uh, the three new patient parts. Um, new patients tend to, the same amount of time is allotted, but because I've become curious more or less with the case when uh, we kind of we get going into things, they tend to run over and they can really create some backup throughout the day. And, and of course that adds more stress to the therapist and, you know, to whoever's kind of managing everything. And we try to run a pretty tight ship. So, um, my last patient, uh, what I thought they were coming in with, they didn't come in with. Uh, so to start off with my, my plan of action, kind of what they were, uh, what they were, they were suffering from was, uh, was very different than what I was anticipating to kind of deal with. And I found as a therapist, uh, I had to really shift gears very quickly and kind of figure out what that individual uh, was going to need and what I could kind of do as far as bringing uh, the most benefit to to the time that I had with them. To top it off, this person was in town for uh, literally that night. They were leaving the next morning. And uh, a friend of theirs just happened to kind of get him in sort of a thing. Um, interesting thing about this case is uh, he had some interesting distortions, and we'll, we'll get into that. But um, this is going to kind of fall into those that things category. You know, patients come in with a lot of uh, different problems. They may be in a very, very different emotional states at, at different times. And... In this particular situation, this gentleman had uh, had lost his son. Um, I want to say he was at least 20, 25 uh, years old, and I mean it was a very it was a recent event, very shocking. Unfortunately, it was uh, due to the op- opioid uh, issue. Um, the young man had had some some surgeries. Uh, in his shoulders from a couple bad hits playing football. And uh, maybe it was just the time, maybe it was the doctor, uh, maybe it's a certain genetic predisposition, or maybe everything falling into place perfectly. Uh, but the young man was prescribed something, and uh, he took to it too well. And um, sparked a bit of a, uh, maybe something with it himself as well. Um, that he couldn't pull away from and unfortunately it led to his, uh, his ending of his life. And, uh, to get a patient in who's went through a significant emotional trauma to begin with, um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a heavy hour. Uh, they're usually dealing with a lot. Um, not only physically, I mean, we all have these physical things that these dysfunctional patterns that we're dealing with and, and things that need to be resolved that aren't, but then we also have these emotional and these mental things going on that feed into it all. And um, this was one of those those sessions where I had to use a variety of tactics. 
Um, typically when patients come in that are in this way, they, they are going to get shaken up at certain points. They may start to reference, you know, the person who had passed. Um, they may have had a very emotional or uh, not emotional, but strong connection with that individual. And now that they're gone, they're, they're going to be grieving that loss. And, um, one kind of, I don't even want to call it a technique because it's just, I feel like it's just human. Um, something I'll do when I have patients that are in that, in that state is when they maybe begin down that, that doom and gloom path, I'll kind of call it, uh, where they begin to, um, maybe get too caught up in their thoughts in the moment. Um, it's not right for the moment or for the session, I should say. Um, who knows what moment's perfect, but, um, if you can try to respect how they feel, but also try to continue on in the direction that you're trying to help that person, um, that's kind of the, the optimal thing you can do kind of at that time. And something that I've kind of used with this gentleman and I've used in the past is when that topic comes up or when they begin to talk about it and the emotional state begins to shift and they get more emotional, which, um, does affect the tissue, does affect how your body's reacting when we're trying to treat you. Um, instead of, you know, discounting what they're saying, uh, in, in any sense, or, um, not knowing what to say, staying there awkwardly. Um, you know, we're not really trained to be human, uh, but we're all connected and there's a, a give and take that's always occurring, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Uh, but when people stop giving, people notice. And uh, one way to, I guess you could say, give to the situation is, you know, maybe ask about positive things that they remember about the, the individual that had passed or things that they were interested in. And in this particular case, uh, you know, this, this father just lit up you know, telling me all these things, um, that his son was doing and, and, uh, was aspiring to do and was achieving. And what I began to find out was, um, his son was close to my age in a very similar field as my own. And I quickly realized that, you know, certain patients end up in your office because you do good work and, and certain patients end up in your office because they, they need, uh, they need to, to speak with you or to be in your presence and kind of what you offer. And, and that may be in, uh, treatment and your abilities and techniques and things like that, but also in your personality, um, how you conduct yourself, what you represent, things like that. And, um, I really feel like, you know, this gentleman was, we're, we never try to be counselors, um, by any stretch of the means, but there's something to be said to just lending an ear, um, you know, letting somebody vent, but letting them vent in a, in a positive way, something that's going to be constructive, not something that's going to tear them down, make them weep, make them sorrowful, make them cry. You know, we want to try to, to spark something in a, in a more positive light and, you know, kind of just, um, shed a little light in the person's life. You know, you have the ability to, to correct them physically and help them physically. And, um, a lot of times we can, we can be the crutch that someone needs, uh, when they're down and, and in life we'll have our own down moments. So it's one of those things where, you know, you might as well just pay it forward now. Uh, so you got a little, you got a little credit on the back end. Um, to get a little bit more into the gentleman's, you know, kind of pain and what he had come in with or, um, uh, basically seemed to, and were, uh, somewhat minor issues. Um, some simple muscles that were uh, attaching to the lower rib cage, um, rib attachment or not rib attachments, but muscles that are attached to the ribs. And, uh, simply treating those, releasing his obliques, uh, his lats a little bit, things began to change pretty quickly and his back, back pain started to improve and, um, worked on his hip a little bit, got some things to correct. Um, but this was another case, uh, where when I initially taken my measurements, he was, 
he wasn't meeting the demands of the of the lover reactor uh we call it so basically his his cranium and his pelvis weren't communicating properly um and part of at least my initial uh treatment when i see patients is if that mechanism it, mechanism isn't working, um, my first step is, hey, let's go correct that. So um, I began to do certain things during the treatment as we were discussing all the stuff on the back end, right? You know, you're you're looking at these, but you're also having to juggle uh, what else is going on. It could just be, you know, uh, someone that's talkative that wants to talk about their cats. Um, it's going to happen. You just can't be silent and focus like a Jedi on what you're doing all the time. Um, so you're going to have to be able to multitask. So as I'm trying to process and digest what this gentleman needs, as far as okay, I'm going to treat this muscle and okay, you know, his cranium and his pelvis weren't doing this. So I'm going to need to do this to, to get some certain things to shift and correct, you know, we're going through all this. And, um, I found that everything was working. Everything began to loosen up. Things were softening. He was noticing improvements. Not only that, his mood was, was improving. You know, he got some things off his chest. Um, sometimes things are easier to be said to a stranger than the people that you're, you're closest with. So I feel like in a sense, certain things were said to me that, um, he was able to just kind of let go of. And, uh, I feel for himself that was very freeing. Um, and his body responded to that. So uh, after all the corrections and everything had taken place, uh, he was feeling pretty well. We had discussed, you know, when he would be coming back. And uh, one thing that I had missed or didn't necessarily miss, but just kind of uh, uh, had forgotten about uh, from the beginning of the treatment was that, you know, we had talked about, okay, so there's when you endure emotional stress, especially uh, consistent stress. So stresses day after day, anxiousness, things like that, or definitely heavy traumas, deaths in the families, breakups, you know, you name it. Um, if you're going to take it to heart, so to speak, uh, your heart is going to react. And before the gentleman had left, I said, Hey, let's do, you know, one more thing. I go, you know, it was the end of the day. I knew I could take a little more time with the guy. Uh, I ended up running over like a half hour. I'm terrible. Uh, usually never happens, but this was one of those cases where, you know, homie just needed something. So we got, got him back on the table and I explained to him what I was going to do. And basically to, uh, relieve pericardial stress and tension, uh, we, we look for certain measurements to change from standing to laying down, uh, that can kind of be the signal for it. Uh, but to treat it, you're basically doing a, a reverse uh, kind of chest compression if you were trying to resuscitate somebody. So, uh, you know, you're pushing, uh, you know, down and in on the rib cage on the top, and then you kind of do the opposite on the backside. And what you do is you basically get to kind of get the mo the rib cage to move much like a uh, uh, an accordion. You know, everything just kind of, it because of the angle of it all as you apply pressure and you can direct that pressure, you kind of get things to compress and shift. And in doing so, you can uh, begin to manipulate the lungs or the pericardium and things like that. And um, in this particular instance, um, I think we did about, uh, I don't know, 12 compressions, uh, six on each side, uh, just basically uh, trying to focus the pressure uh, on the sternum, but directing the force not only towards his feet, but out towards his hip as well, a bit more lateral. And, uh, in doing so, it felt as if, um, a couple things had mobilized, um, you know, we don't do adjustments, uh, but what many patients find with our type of work is when the soft tissue begins to correct the structure, uh, knows where it should be and the structure will move back to its assigned position if it can. And as we alleviate tension or soft tissue dysfunction in the body uh, and the tissues get healthier, usually joints are less compressed, less irritated. There's less inflammation. All that stuff starts to calm down and things are usually willing to move much on their own. Uh, many patients notice uh, or will note that when they get off the table after a certain treatment, things are popping and clicking. And then, you know, a day or so later it stops. And that's because the body is readjusting. 
Uh, obviously, there's certain deformations that can occur over time, degenerations, things like that. Uh, I'm just talking about in general, if you can alleviate these tensions and decompress the joint, things are going to fall back into place. Um, and that's what this gentleman was experiencing. Um, but the biggest sign and kind of a benchmark of how I gauge how people respond to this type of treatment is uh, I have them take a deep breath before, a couple deep breaths before, and I have them remember what it feels like to take that deep breath. And the biggest thing that people notice is when pericardial tension releases, uh, or maybe when the lung tension releases, um, the it's almost as if the diaphragm begins to to want to function better, uh, that things want to move, things aren't so rigid, and you find that you can inhale and take a much, much deeper breath. And immediately you could, you know, just almost kind of see him swell up inside. You know, he took the, he took this deep breath and you could see, see it in his face. You know, he felt it. He just, he felt this relief, this kind of this pressure fall off of him. And I think it's something that we never, I mean, we look at it. I've never met another practitioner and, you know, considering, considered just the Western field, um, that look at, oh, you know, uh, your heart's, uh, maybe there's some tension around your heart. Immediately people are, you know, stroke, heart attack, da, 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 da. You go through the list of, you know, what cardiac problems could you potentially have? And nobody cares to think about, you know, heartbreak, breakups, deaths in the family, traumas, PTSD. Um, people carry this stress around and who knows how long this gentleman would have carried it around if he didn't luck out and land this, this appointment that we could resolve this before he flies back to the other side of the country. The guy lives, uh, over towards the West coast and to be able to, to serve somebody that way, to help that person, um, even in the smallest amount, even if it helps him get, you know, a better night's sleep because, Hey, we, you know, we reduce some of his overall pain and, uh, we were able to, to take some pressure off his system that, uh, in the long term, would just continue to wreak havoc. And I know it would continue to wreak havoc uh, because we measure things. And one thing that I rechecked after we had done this, and he had taken some breaths, and we had talked about the importance of this, and um, I educated him a little bit more, and you know, he was just kind of really blown away at how he felt. And and oftentimes when, when you can do pericardial, pericardial compressions, um, you will find that people will enter a state of uh, somatic emotional release, maybe begin to cry, things like that. Uh, and, and he was definitely on that, on that, that kind of general path. And, um, once things had settled, I asked him to stand back up. One of the primary things we look for when they come in, any new patient comes in, we look for leg length and equities and things like that. And, um, he had a bit of a pelvic tilt and his shoulders were tilted and his head was off. Uh, but like I had mentioned in the beginning, you know, that Lovett reactor system, how your cranium and your pelvis are compensating or working with each other. Um, it wasn't cooperating. And because it wasn't cooperating, I wasn't going to be happy potentially putting something or recommending to put something in this gentleman's shoe that could potentially hurt him down the road, right? That, that goes against what we do as practitioners. So I put him back up. I remeasure him. The tension that was lingering in his chest that was pinning his chest down uh changed his cranial measurements entirely so much so that his cranial measurements then begun correcting properly for the way that his pelvis was compensating he still had a leg length inequity he still had a, a previous knee injury i explained this to him a little bit more that we weren't going to address the leg length until i'd see him in the future the last thing i'm going to do is put somebody in a lift and send them out of my 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 care to send them into another state or on into whatever avenue of life that they're going to be segueing into uh, without my guidance as they move into this new phase, this new chapter, this new position that their body's going to be adapting to. Um, but the, the test of it, of just releasing that tension to taking the extra time to recognizing, hey, I've done a lot. This treatment in general has been a lot but there's still a little bit more that can be done. Are you willing to make it happen? And this was one of those things where in the midst of it, it seemed very heavy, like, 
you know, not that I was waiting to get to the end of it. Uh, it wasn't nearly that, that bad. Um, but when, when there's heavy emotions around they're they're heavy in general, they weigh, they weigh your body down, they weigh your mind down. Um, so I was more so, you know, looking forward to that, that kind of relief. Um, but to take this extra time with this gentleman to get the corrections that we did and to send him on in such a better way. Not only did he was did we kind of unload some emotional stuff, but we got his body to correct more efficiently so that he could at least go back, enjoy time with his wife, enjoy trying to get back into some sort of normal routine. He's got enough on his plate, you know, if we can at least shave off a couple of those numbers on that pain scale and get some of his dysfunctional patterns under control uh, before he has to walk back into the next battles of his life. I mean, that's what it's about. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna win them all. Not every patient is going to be able to be corrected 100, percent etc. Uh, in a single treatment, and you really have to prioritize and you have to really focus on you know what are the essentials of what I really kind of want to get done today. Um, and, and what's going to make the biggest impact, you know, what's going to help the most. So, um, I had a couple questions that I just kind of wrote down for myself uh, in regards to that, because I know there's a lot of therapists that, um, you know, they, they kind of ask the question of, you know, when is it proper to give more, you know, where are boundaries, you know, what about, you know, the power differential between you being a therapist and them being a patient? And, um, you have to take all those things into consideration. You also have to take your personality into consideration. Uh, I, in myself have always considered myself to be a giver. And as I've come into manhood, I've begun to realize that, uh, if I could be anything, uh, I would want to be you know, the tree for life to, to be able to expand, to be able to grow, to be able to withstand the storm and to be the shelter and the stability that others need, uh, when they need it. And, uh, not everybody has that in their path. Not that you should, uh, to each his own, but as much as I want to give, I've learned to pick and choose where I put my energy and you will have to do this regardless of what you do in life. Um, and this was just one of those, those occasions where I decided, Hey, I have X amount of energy left to give. And I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to give it up. And, and in hopes that if, you know, maybe I'll feel more gratified. Maybe I'll feel for more fulfilled in some way. Um, but if nothing else that I at least attempt to make an impact in someone's life in a positive way and send them away from our experience in a better state than they were when they entered it. Um, now you don't have to do these things, like I said. Um, but for me, I've found this was kind of why I got into this field in the first place. And it's, it's very fulfilling when the opportunity arises, when someone truly appreciates, uh, everything that you've done. Uh, like you can, in your core, you can feel this person put that energy out that, you know, they've appreciated everything to its utmost, um, which is pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, segueing on the, uh, I want to say it was the next day, next day I had a new patient follow up and, um, she had some positive changes and some things she had noted were better, but then, you know, a couple days later they started to get worse and we find this or hear this a lot that, you know, Hey, it was good for two, three days and it gets worse or, you know, get, it was getting aggravated again. And we kind of have a principle of, you know, fixed patterns and, and, uh, patterns that, uh, will change or switch. And for the most part, uh, you know, the average therapist, three, four treatments can break up a fixed pattern. So if your shoulders 
elevated for some reason, um, within about three, four treatments, they're going to be able to chisel that down as to, you know, what's causing the elevation, um, what muscles need to be treated what's, what's the primary focus, et cetera. And, um, this was a case where, um, we were working on the nerve pathways basically through her arm. She had some birth defects in two of her fingers that were, uh, deformed. They, I believe it done some skin grafts too. There's basically a lot of hypersensitivity in the area, things like that. And, uh, as we were kind of going through, uh, I guess the, uh, the consultation portion of all this, we had done some measurements and I was viewing her chart from last time and the one from this time and, and looking at what I treated and what changed and what was improving for the better and maybe what had gotten a little bit worse. And it was the perfect, um, model you could say for when you should be like when documentation works at its finest to be able to have the notes, to have measurements reinforced, to have your own notes, your own thoughts jotted down on a piece of paper or electronically, like I use a tablet. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter, but to be able to go back and reference that, uh, I swear one of the, the worst things that I did in the beginning of, of being a therapist is I didn't use a chart or I, I did, but I just half-assed it, you know, um, you discount the significance of, of taking all these measurements. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot. Um, and you're looking at them all and the dynamics and how they're all playing off of each other and how the body's correcting. And it's a lot of information to take in. And what I realized is it was so much information that my brain couldn't quite process it. So I started small. I started looking at a single distortion and then I'd look at two distortions and I'd look at two relative distortions and I would try to, to remember the muscle patterns and remember how the body would be behaving and, and what else could be going on. And, you know, okay, well, if I release this and then the measurements change, you know, where, where do I go from there? And to an extent, I feel like not doing certain things helped because it helped my memory, helped me process things better in my mind, kind of better dissect them and, and figure out exactly what's going on. But at the same time, I can't discount the good old fashioned notes on, Hey, you were doing this and now you're doing this and this is why. And you educate that patient and you help them understand what they were doing, why they're doing something different or why they reverted back to an old pattern. And you got a patient for life because patients don't get educated that way when they see their normal doctors. They don't get educated that way when they see hardly anyone. Um, there isn't an opportunity where you have a, an intimate moment in, in of your day. Uh, for us, we have an hour that we spend with patients where, you know, you're not here to get a skin rub. Um, we're here to fix some stuff, you know, so you're going to stand up here. We're going to take some measurements. We're going to talk. You're going to learn something. And when you leave, not only are you going to feel better, but you're going to be better empowered and you're going to be more knowledgeable to not go jack yourself up in the future. And if you do, you're going to understand what you did and you're going to have suspicions of why it happened in the first place. And you're going to come have it addressed much sooner than you did in the past. And you're not going to have the same lingering bullshit problems that keep coming back time and time again. So this lady was awesome. I sat there, explained everything to her said, this is what was going on. This is what you're doing today. This is where my head's at. This is what I saw. This is what I was anticipating. And this is what I want for you to today. And I'll tell you, I mean, you could talk until you're blue in the face trying to sell somebody on something. But if you can explain to them why they're doing what they're doing and you have a couple notes on a little sheet of paper, it blows their mind because the last person that told them something sent them to a specialist. The specialist sent them to an MRI. The MRI place sent the report and the disc back to their doctor's office or the specialist's office. They had to go back to the specialist's office. This guy then goes over what the report says that somebody else printed out 
he barely even looks at it and there's no education they're just like oh yeah that's that's broken down or oh you got some arthritis garbage garbage x-rays mris all beneficial when utilized appropriately but degeneration things like this are not the sole culprit of pain you know things get to that state due to dot 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 pelvic imbalances uh traumas uh misuse overuse you know these patterns this this dysfunction that forms in the tissues that basically wreaks havoc on everything um nobody looks at it nobody looks at it so for me it was just a you know a nice little gentle reminder that you know hey uh although you're getting older you're understanding things better um there's a there's still such a value in the basics and the basics of breaking down hey you're doing this you're doing this this is why and look i can show you why because i gave a damn enough to document it so that's all i have to rant about for jardy all right so my um tuesday patient or my last tuesday patient um was really awesome um this patient was sent to me by a, another practitioner and uh i can easily say she is a sweetheart of a person um she has literally been through hell and back and still has her smile on her face about it and um the short of it and i think this may have come up in another podcast or another episode as well um but this patient or this woman was in a, a very very traumatic uh car accident um i mean severe pelvic floor damage you know organs torn away things had to be reattached part of her skull had to be reconstructed uh literally been through hell and back and one of her biggest problems and i it's been kind of like the number one on the list from day one of you know we can't get to the other stuff until this starts getting resolved is back pain and this was a case where you know i was pulling out the big guns you know thinking it was organs referring into her back or you know maybe there's some scar tissue or you know as a as a combination of both did you know fascial work did some some lymphatic work um went back you know tried new things tried different muscle groups rechecked certain muscle groups and i mean we'd make progress but then it slipped back make a little progress it slipped back and i don't know what kind of struck a chord the other day but she had come in and some things we had done the week before uh didn't help didn't help at all and um that's discouraging you know when when you have an hour with somebody and that's the only hour you're going to see them for maybe the next week two weeks three weeks four weeks whatever the case may be um you want to try to create a positive benefit if they have a lot of things going on you may not be able to help all of them um but you might be able to knock one out of the park or maybe improve them all by 20 30 percent who knows in this case um we had focused on her spinal erectors we had worked on them a bit in a previous treatment uh when she was having some neck issues and things like that that were really bothering her that day and uh i went back again boom looking at the charts referencing what i did before i saw okay i did this and i did that and then the following treatment we had done more of the spinal erectors uh treated a little bit better around the attachments made sure i got the full length of them did a little more drier work didn't use so much lubrication just because you don't get as much stretch on the skin and the fascia underneath and um i found or that's when i found that she realized or she you know didn't really get much relief from that so to me that was a biggie because i was you know it had helped the time before so what changed and 
basically one thing that I found, and I, I we notice this a lot with leg length inequities and things like that, but definitely I would say in general, men, men with their lack of hip mobility and their tucked butts and their flat backs and not giving a damn about what their lower body is doing. Um, we'll usually find that, you know, the lateral side of the hip, uh, the side of the hip, uh, is actually, um, in such a contraction, so locked up that it's almost like a steel bar, you know, welding the top of your hip to, um, the top of your femur and it limits the mo- the ability for you to flex your hip as easily. And it just creates a lot of rigidity and causes tilts and causes back pain and all sorts of junk. So I had thought about something that we had talked about from the beginning of, of her coming to the office. And that was, you know, the significant surgery where they opened up her abdomen. So, uh, I go, okay, you know, we're going to try something different. I believe what I treated last time was on the right path. I think it's helping. I think something else isn't letting go. And when we get the front to back stuff corrected, you know, flexion extension, we got to look at the tilt, you know, what's going on in the tilt. And sure enough, uh, her left hip was locked down, uh, just palpating it gently. It was on fire. Um, we had, or I got her uh, back on the table, uh, kind of bolstered her correctly, and started looking around that area. I mean, the, the slightest amount of pressure was was really severe. And what I'd kind of realized was from the extensive surgery she had in her abdomen, they had made such a large incision, the incision was actually stretching over uh, the side of the hip. So when the sutures and everything began to heal, a certain amount of scar tissue had built up in that area and it had bound to the fascia that was wrapping around her gluteus minimus, TFL, things like that. As it was healing, which also means it was thickening with any scar tissue or adhesions being laid down with the inflammation that's lingering, the entire area just became more and more dysfunctional. And this is a, just a theory, but what I think may have happened because I find this pattern in nearly everyone who drives is when she was in her car accident, I believe her left leg was bent. Uh, most people, there are a few that don't, but most people will drive with their left knee bent, leaned against the door, slightly adducted. Or abducted and when left in that position especially day after day after day after day after day the tissues assume a repeated pattern so we kind of fall into that overuse or uh, yeah overuse category and as that muscle repeats that it gets tight in that position Cause your body's going, Oh, you keep doing this. So you want us to do it better because that's what your body does. And when she was in her car accident, she was hit by a drunk driver or uh, actually she was on a, uh, a gentleman who was high on heroin. Um, I believe because the leg was hip flexed in that position that when she endured the trauma the tissue spasmed because as in any trauma, um, or when your body feels assaulted, uh, uh, or fearful, you will tense up, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. Uh, and as she froze, the tissue held that position. So after everything they had done, the muscle was tight, the fascia around it was getting tighter. And then they, they make these incisions. Now the incision is healing over all of this traumatized, uh, tissue. And basically we spent, I mean, we spent a good amount of time on our hips, uh, just gently working, you know, 20 grams, 30 grams of pressure, just trying to get, uh, enough traction on the skin where I could get the, uh, the tissue to begin to release and the, the adhesions to begin to release, uh, lengthening the scar long ways, not trying to pull it apart, uh, trying to unbind it from, uh, some of the 
the tissue underneath. And uh, after a while, it began to soften. It got softer and softer. Then I was able to do some deeper holds um, that were a little more intense, but uh, I'll tell you, they were effective. They got the tissue to begin to let go, uh, so much so that as we were going through, I'll call it the phases of this, because it really took a lot of time to, to nurse. You know, this wasn't a, uh, a case where uh, I was going to take care of a shoulder problem, a neck issue, and a back issue all in one treatment. No, we're focusing on this one thing. And I'll tell you, it paid off. Um, you know, when we look at the hips and what certain muscles do, you know, muscle action is one thing, but when the structure is static um, and standing still, that's kind of what we base our measurements off of. So if a hip is higher or hip is lower, uh, certain muscles will cause that hip to elevate. Certain muscles will cause the other hip uh, to depress. Uh, same with rotation. Certain things may may drive a hip forward uh, and cause a rotation. And you could have maybe the same muscle, the same a similar distortion on both sides firing, causing a, a, a bilateral projection. Uh, or maybe a little more tense on one side and causing a bit of rotation. And as you eliminate that rotation the rotation emerges on the other side because the other side may be maintained about 50% of what the other one did. And uh, basically as we release the side of her hip, her depressed side of her hip or the side, her left side that she would have had bent um, during the car accident, that began to let go. And as it began to release, uh, I'd have her stand up and walk around and you know do little things that were typically very difficult, very hard to do. And, um, surprisingly, I mean, very, very, very quickly. Um, I mean, she was bending over, touching her, ho t her toes. She had a pattern of wanting to, to push off on her knees to almost kind of like rocket herself up, uh, before her back had to engage to try to, you know, keep her or, or to erect herself upright. And, um, she did that a couple times in the beginning, but after we discussed it and I explained to her that that was just a pattern she had developed, um, and that she could break it. Sure enough. Uh, you know, we did a little more work. I tried to get it to bit, uh, loosen up a bit more while we still had uh, some time left in the treatment. And, uh, it did, it opened up a bit more. She kind of overcame that, that, that thought process of wanting to push off on her knees, trying to bend over and try to, you know, get herself back upright again. And I mean, she was bending up and down, no problem. No problem. So to kind of go back to the beginning of this whole, this whole case, um, you know, I mentioned spinal erectors and how I treated those sorts of uh, muscles around the spine that help kind of support you upright. And, uh, I had confidence in myself that I did a good enough job on those that that wasn't the culprit. So I could have easily pissed away that treatment going back through retreating that thinking that was maybe the problem or maybe getting a little more creative thinking it was a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Um, and instead it was a very, it was something that was, that was present. It was a little harder to measure, um, just due to the patient being overweight. And, and that's common. Um, you know, a lot of people, especially when they, they've gone through something like that, they, they put on weight due to being in the hospital and the downtime, the recovery time. Um, but I always say as a practitioner, you know, someone's weight shouldn't, uh, defer you from being able to do your best job as a therapist. Um, some things may elude you. You may not see them as clearly. Um, but sometimes you have to act in faith or off of what you believe may be happening, uh, or what may seem slight, uh, but slight and your eye at the current moment could actually be fairly significant, um, later on down the road. And that's kind of what I was finding is something that I had considered to be slight, uh, and not a, a huge difference, uh, ended up being very impactful, uh, for the patient in a positive way and getting their, you know, the pressure off the back. Uh, a lot of people call, uh, the pain she was dealing with, you know, SI joint dysfunction, um, kind of a very broad term that, uh, uh, really nobody it's you know what's dysfunction you know 
Uh, is it falling apart? Uh, you know, is it pissed off? Like what's it doing? And the short of it is, you know, your, your SI joint is a mobile or is a stable joint. Um, the hip has a, a slight ability to, to flex, uh, and extend and it has the ability to inflare and outflare. Um, not much, but it has to do it in partnership with the other hip as well. And because it's being forced to cooperate with the other side, when one side has to make a compensation, it can oftentimes bind up the other and the other pays the price regardless, just because it's part of the scenario. It's part of how the body is actually balancing itself. You know, we forget that our body is programmed to us being in the wilderness, trying to survive, trying to keep you mobile and moving. Uh, your body doesn't care about a career or what kind of car you drive or anything else in between. It's objective is to adapt to your patterns. So if you have terrible patterns, it's going to adapt to your terrible patterns. And if you can understand these patterns and or understand where the dysfunctions coming from, from the patterns that you kind of you've created or you assume daily, um, we can understand the muscles that create them. And by treating those muscles, getting the tissues to release, getting the tissues healthy again, um, the distortions go away, the dysfunction goes away, and things like SI dysfunction disappear. Uh, because the only reason they're present in the first place is because something is being uh, pulled or moved in a direction that is causing some sort of agitation. Uh, so in our case, uh, or in our kind of modality mindset, um, I'm not really worried about your SI joint. Um, there's nothing that I can do to change the integrity of your SI joint. What I do have the, the ability to influence is what the bones attaching around the SI joint are doing. Um, are they tilted? Are they flexed? Are sacral ligaments tight? Um, you know, is something that's supposed to uh, uh, be tight on this side uh, is also tight on the other? Uh, or is something locked up that's causing something to bind up on the other side? Um, so this was, you know, after a, a heavy start to the week, uh, Tuesday was a nice reprieve, you know, to, to have, a uh, kind of a cool case in the middle of the day. Somebody had been doing well, but, uh, I also got to teach a little bit too, um, a bit more than I do, you know, some of my other patients and, um, to then finish the night off with, uh, you know, a, what's been a bit more of a long-term patient and, um, really having some successes that, uh, I believe are going to really, uh, turn her 2020 around. You know, this is, uh, two weeks into the first part of the year. And, um, I think this is going to be big. This, uh, I believe is going to be that, uh, that hurdle we needed to get over to progress into the, uh, some of the other, uh, other dysfunctional problems, other areas that, uh, she wanted to also address that before seemed, uh, insignificant or, you know, throw them on the back burner. Uh, but Hey, uh, I'm pleased with what I found. Uh, I'm pleased with the results that we got. And uh, I'm just grateful I can uh, share some of these experiences and hopefully enlighten some people that maybe have uh, some similar issues or have been through some similar struggles or maybe some family that's been through been through that. That's uh, uh, it's good to know that there's that there's hope. You know, there's uh, there's something that can change and that. Uh, you know, just being grateful. There's patients that are willing to, uh, continue to put in the time. Uh, a lot of people give up, uh, too soon. They aren't willing to put in the, uh, the time and effort, uh, to really see it through. And, uh, many times if they would, uh, it pays off and it pays off big. So, um, I think we'll wrap it up for there for this week. Uh, next episode uh, should be really interesting. I'm going to dive into uh, a little neurofeedback that I've been doing uh, and experimenting on myself for a while. Uh, maybe a longer one. Uh, I'm going to kind of dive into, you know, how they did the initial scan, what came up, um, 
some previous things that uh, had happened in life that I, uh, uh, I should say my brain remembered. Um, I did as well, but uh, physically there were marks left and um, how we went about starting to correct those. Uh, so I'll be going for my last uh, uh, mapping uh, tomorrow on Thursday and uh, it should be really interesting. I'm really curious to see what's changed and uh, I hope there's some good changes. Uh, I feel like there's been really good changes and uh, I hope that we can just measure them so that I can uh, better convey what helped, has helped me tremendously with neurofeedback um, but also try to break it down in terms that people understand uh, something great about the type of work that we do and have and for myself have having done it so long um, I understand it better now and, and it just gets better and better it's like a fine wine um, I see things that I didn't see before and I see patterns that I didn't see before and when you know I do certain experience experiments with myself I find certain things changing uh, for me that they maybe look at in a certain light and I look at in a certain light um, or maybe they explain something a little bit better um, or vice versa and I can help regurgitate that uh, to help people better understand you know the benefits of some of these things um, you know we have a great potential to influence the outer structure um, the organs the viscera manipulating cranial bones creating a lot of powerful change in people um, but one thing we can't quite do is get that neuroplasticity uh, restructured, recalibrated, uh, reordered so that the uh, the chaos calms down. So we'll dive into that a little bit, uh, or a lot of it, in the next episode. So I appreciate y'all. Hope you're, uh, you're enjoying these. And uh, hang in for the next one. Thank you.